Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. <laughs> this is a new thing for us on an every two-week schedule. Yeah. I know. I'm really happy to be here with you recording. I am too, but I've really enjoyed having a couple weeks with kids and not like behind the gun rushing around like crazy and yeah. <laughs> panicking. So thank you guys for going along with us on our bi-weekly thing for just the next couple months. So thank you. Yeah, but thank we you. are happy to be back this week. Happy. Um, it was kind of, <laughs> I know, it was even hard for us, I think, last week to not have an episode to release and yeah, like, to not be able to weird. Like, be out there and promoting mm-hmm. everything. And but um, We really just always want the attention on us. Right. And so going a full <laughs> week without it, it was It difficult. was terrible. Yeah, yeah, it was really terrible. <laughs> um, so just another quick announcement. Um, some of you may know or not that we are – quickly approaching our one-year anniversary of doing the podcast, which um, is really, really exciting for us. It's like a huge milestone to get to a year of doing it. Um, I know a lot of podcasts may not make it that far or... Pod fading. We haven't pod faded. Yeah, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Although bi-weekly doesn't look good, but it's not a good look for us. It's just still September. We'll be back. Yeah, for sure. So on that note um, of the year anniversary, we will be actually doing a live video kind of to celebrate that on uh, July 19th. It's going to be in our Facebook group, um, Mums the Word. If you have not joined, you can find us there and check it out. And we have a whole, or Melissa, I guess, set up this whole event 
Uh, yes, I found the event ca- uh, button one day and was like, sure, let's do this. Yeah, so we're planning to do that. We're going to do a live video. We're going to get a cake and... Um, we encourage you to get a cake. So everyone's just eating cake with us, right. watching this live video of us talking. I don't know. what We, we haven't don't know planned it, it much beyond that, but um, we'll be doing that July yeah. 19th. Um, July 19th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, so hopefully you're awake. Make sure you bring cake. It's a BYOC situation. Bring your own cake. We'll bring ours. You bring yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do not provide cake at this party. I'm sorry. So today's episode is about a 1997 quadruple murder that took place inside of a manufacturing plant called Erie Manufacturing Incorporated in Bartow, Florida. So before we get into the details of the story, we have a quick little segment that we like to call... We Googled the city slash Yelped the city, depending on which week you're listening to this. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So according to the U.S. Census Bureau, in 2000, the city of Bartow had a population of 15,340 people. It's a pretty small town. It's bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a little blip. And if you're thinking of Orlando, you've heard of Bartow probably, but unless you know somebody there, there's really not no. a lot of reason to go there. No offense to anyone in Bartow. It's a lovely place, but it's like I, when I lived in North Florida, Tallahassee, Havana, you only go to Havana if you know somebody in Havana. Right. There's just no reason. I could be wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong, but tell me nicely. Um, Bartow is located in Polk County and... Those in Central Florida are very familiar with the sheriff of Polk County. <laughs> if you've watched the news and ever heard Polk County come up, just keep listening because the judge will come on there. I'm sorry, not the judge. I always get his name wrong. The sheriff, his name is Grady Judd, and uh, he always has these like Sheriff Grady-isms almost, Yeah, like I guess. these little quips that he just comes up with. And he does. He's hilarious. Um Kind of borderline could be considered offensive, I guess, to, I guess to criminals. But <laughs> Yeah, criminals hate this man um, for good reason. But he's very quick to just like, he does not give a crap about a criminal, that's for sure. So um, it's always entertaining to see what he's going to say, really. And I looked up a quote he said, but I don't even want to say it because it could be, it could be too far. It was one of his too far moments. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he's, he's an interesting guy. It feels very... Um, like you're watching a TV sitcom, honestly, whenever he comes on and talks, like you just think somebody's writing these lines for him. At least I do. Um, the county of Polk is also known as Central Florida's food capital. I thought that was interesting for our friends. Food capital. Yeah. I mean, I guess so because it is kind of like farm, like it's kind of yeah. like country living in it's the middle citrus, of Florida. It's like capital yeah. as well. But um, our friend Josh, well, I use the word friend lightly in our Facebook group. Um, is a big foodie. You guys are all big foodies. Mandy is a weirdo foodie person. Um, if you guys could see just the disgust in her face as she talks about this. She's never made me any of the food that she cooks and just posts blast pictures of it on social media. <laughs> and when I go to her house, it's like, I picked up pizza yesterday. Would you like some of that? And so <laughs> she's hoarding it and I'm offended. The county of Polk is also known as the water ski capital of the world because it has 554 lakes. So, but that's like all of Central Florida. It's just giant lakes. I didn't realize that until moving here. There's just lakes. It's just water everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> water and like people on bath salts. That's all yeah. we have. <laughs> so, to give a little background on the Erie Manufacturing Company, in the 1960s, two men from New York named Phil Dosso and George Gonzalez started a tool and dye business that focused on supplying parts and replacement for the garment industry. It was called Erie Manufacturing Cooperative. 
The men ran a successful business, and in the 1980s, the partners teamed up with a man named Nelson Serrano, who worked for a company that sold slick rail systems for the garment industry. So I kind of looked this up because I kind of had a feeling I knew what it was, but it's one of those things you're, you just don't hear about, I guess. Yeah, I didn't know there was a word for it. Right, exactly. So yeah, but this is what you would see in like um, dry cleaning, you know, companies where they, it's like the automated thing where that you can put stuff on hangers and then right. it will like, I guess, move it, move the clothing along for you so right. you don't have to do the work. Yeah. That was a terrible No, I just enjoyed watching you go through all of that. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for that for me. So these three men teamed up and started a new company called Garment Conveyor Systems, in which Nelson Serrano was in charge of designing, selling, and installing these slick rail systems, and Frank and George built the parts. The trio moved their company to Bartow in the late 80s, and essentially they merged the two companies, um, Erie Manufacturing and Garment Conveyor Systems. The businessmen made a verbal agreement that Serrano would buy into the Erie partnership and would pay Phil and George each $75,000, which would then give all three of the men equal ownership in this new company. Eventually, Serrano's son, Francisco, and Phil's son, Frank, began working there. And then later, Phil's son-in-law, George Patiso, also went to work for the business. So this was just a real all-in-the-family. Um, it sounded very much like it was just a very family-oriented business and and there was a lot of family members yeah. you just listed. <laughs> yeah, I know. Was, when I was reading all of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a Frank and a Francisco? I don't know. But it's not like one family. It's like right. it's like three, three families. families. Yeah. yeah. Shots ring out in the manufacturing plant on December 3rd, 1997. It was supposed to be a special day of celebration for Frank Dasso and his wife Maria as they had planned a special dinner of Chinese takeout and cake to celebrate their twin daughter's 10th birthday. The date was special to Frank and Maria for another reason, too. It was also the anniversary of the couple's first date. On that evening in December, Frank's sister Diane was supposed to be picking up Frank and her husband George, and then the family was planning on meeting up with Frank and Diane's parents before going to celebrate the twins' birthday. Marie was expecting Frank to arrive around 5.30, and when he failed to show up, Maria initially felt annoyed and believed that Frank had decided to stay at work late despite it being their daughter's birthday. After failed attempts to reach Frank, Maria called her in-laws to see if they had heard from him. So this is the time before we all had cell phones glued to us. And so it's not unusual at this point for people to just not <laughs> be available for you to call them. Right. And you didn't like worry that much. Right. You know, now. You're annoyed. Right. Now if you scared. can't reach someone like immediately, your first thought is always terrible. You're dead in a ditch right. every time. Exactly. <laughs> when 630 rolled around and nobody had seen or heard from Frank or anyone else working at the warehouse, the elderly Dassos, Phil and Nicoletta, took the 20-minute drive to the shop to check things out. When the Dasso parents pulled up to the plant, they thought it was strange that the lights were still on in the building, despite it being well past closing time. It was about 7.30-ish um, when they got there. So Nicolette Dasso entered the Erie Manufacturing Plant first, and she was horrified to almost immediately discover the body of her daughter, Diane Petiso. The 28-year-old woman had been shot execution style. Diane was a young state prosecutor with a promising career ahead of her, and of the four victims, she was the only one who did not actually work at the plant. She was only there to pick up her brother and new husband by happenstance. When Phil Dasso entered the building and saw that his daughter had been killed, he began to frantically search the rest of the offices in fear that the others may have been hurt as well. When he got to his son Frank's office, he made the heartbreaking discovery that Frank, George Patiso, who was his son-in-law, and one of his business partners and good friends, George Gonsalves, had all been shot and killed in the same way as Diane. 
Phil dialed 911 and made a frantic plea for help as he emotionally screamed into the phone that his daughter, son, son-in-law, and partner were all dead. That um, that was one of the toughest 911 calls I think I've ever heard. Yeah. Honestly, um, he was – you just can't even explain how somebody sounds in that, yeah. you know, in that moment. And, um, you know, he was just, like, crying out, like, my children, my children, and, you know, my partner, and, like, they're all dead and all this. I mean, it was – very emotional to it listen was. to. And then you're, you know, the 911 operators having to say, you know, you have to say it slower. You have, to, I can't right. understand you. And so it's like this poor man is having to like, now calm yourself down while, right. you know, during the worst moments of your life. The first officers arrived on the scene at 7.36 p.m. and noted that there were only three cars parked in front of the building. They belonged to Phil Dasso, George Gonsalves, and Diane Patiso. Frank Dasso and George Patiso did not have their car there that night because they had already arranged for Diane to pick them up. Inside the building, the police found 11 shell casings from a 22 caliber gun and one casing from a 32 caliber. All four of the victims had been shot execution style, with 69-year-old George Gonzalez being shot twice and George Patiso five times. Frank Dasso had been shot three times in the same office where the Georges were killed. Diane had been shot once with a 22 and once with a 32, and it, it appeared that she had been trying to get out of the building and was the last one shot. The presence of two different bullets initially indicated to police that there may have been two different shooters. As detectives looked around the building, they noticed that there appeared to have been a robbery. Desk drawers had been pulled out and rummaged through, and papers had been thrown all around the building. Special Agent Tommy Ray also noticed that there was a blue office chair with dusty shoe impressions on it, and directly above that was a ceiling tile that had been pushed up into the side, but other than those puzzling details, there was no other traces of evidence left at the crime scene. So Tommy Ray, as Melissa said, was the head of this investigation, and he was just a really cool guy. Um, We watched a little documentary on it. Was it 48 Hours? It was 48 Hours. Okay, Um, and so we'll link to that in the show notes, but... Um, he was such a cool guy, like a detective. He, he was not going to give up on solving this case. Like, he knew it was kind of weird. There was not really yeah. any evidence, you know, to tie anyone to it. There was no DNA or anything. Um, but he was just one of those, like, detectives that was, like, making it his mission to yeah. to solve the crimes that he was assigned to, you yeah. know. I really liked him. I thought he was kind of a Okay, so uh, the whole time we looked through this, I kept thinking of him as, like, uh, do you remember that song? Probably not because it's really dumb and horrible. It was called Are You Jimmy Ray? It was like kind of rappy, kind of not, but it was like, are you Jimmy Ray? Are you this, Ray? Are you this? No. I just kept in my head, kept singing, are you Tommy Ray? Because he was just so cool. And yeah. he, was <laughs> he was cool. So he chased down over a thousand leads and conducted interviews as far as Canada and other U.S. states such as California, North Carolina, New York. Um, But the only lead that wasn't turning out to be a complete dead end was Nelson Serrano, the third business partner who was coincidentally uh, not in the building and nowhere to be found after the murders. Nelson Serrano's name first popped up in the investigation on day one when the family of the victims insisted that police look into him as a possible suspect. They had reason to believe that he would have been the only one with a motive due to a falling out that the three men had over money matters. As it turned out, Serrano had never paid the other two men the $75,000 he had promised them, and the three of them feuded over the distribution of the company's assets and shady bookkeeping practices. So this whole thing just makes me not want to go into business with anyone ever so for any reason. Melissa, what are we doing? I don't know if I want to do basically in business together. <laughs> Tensions heightened when Phil and George Gonzalez fired Serrano's son Francisco in the summer of 1997, and shortly after, Serrano opened a business checking account on his own and deposited over $200,000 of company money. 
He also initiated a civil lawsuit against Phil and George before eventually being kicked out of the business after a vote by the other two partners. Uh, Phil and George changed the locks on the building and everything. So they just basically said, like, they just decided among themselves they didn't want Nelson Serrano to be part of their yeah. club anymore. <laughs> well, how fair is that vote, though? Like, you just... Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, Let's take it to a vote. I know. <laughs> of <I'm>, two people. <laughs> in the fourth season of Arrested Development, Mandy, don't even look at me. In the fourth season of Arrested Development that people have very strong feelings about. They do this like vote of trying to vote the dad out of the dorm. He like moves into the dorm and he like tries to make it where no one will know who votes for him. So he's like, all right, I'll vote for myself. You vote for the other guy. And it ends up being where everyone votes for him and they have a a pack first and leave no questions asked. So you just see him grab his bags and look at them to say something. And they're like, no, you can't say anything. But it was like all his plan and it just went horribly wrong. So I figure that's kind of what happened here. Right. <laughs> that was a very long explanation. My bad. So a number of other employees of the company confirmed that the relationship between the three partners was hostile at best, with a few of the workers specifically stating that Serrano had told them he wished George Gonsalves was dead, and Phil Dosso would also back up that statement when he stated that he had also heard Serrano make the same type of death wishes against um, Gonsalves. So for whatever reason, he didn't really like that particular partner. Which one didn't die? That One of the, them didn't die. Like, why didn't he wait for both business partners to be there. Yeah, well, that is a, an interesting question because um, that's kind of part of the story too is that on a typical night, George Gonsalves would be the only one left in the building to lock up at the end of the night. Right. So uh, they even said in the 48 hours that it was like fate that placed these other people there in the building that night and like they really shouldn't have even been there and it should have only been George Gonsalves on his own. And um, so maybe he was really the only intended target and then – That is a lot of collateral damage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. Even though it looked like Serrano had all the motive to be a prime suspect in the murders, the investigators had one problem. Serrano was in Atlanta when the four shootings took place. Upon his arrival back in Florida the following day, he was asked to go to the police station for questioning. Serrano was honest with the police officers about the tension between himself and his two business partners, but said that he had only learned of the death after his wife called him at his Atlanta hotel. Investigators began digging into this alibi and attempted to prove Serrano's innocence. They asked him for a play-by-play of his trip to Atlanta, and they were told that he had flown from the Orlando International Airport to Washington, D.C. on December 2nd. And later that day, he went on to fly into Atlanta, where he stayed until December 4th. Detectives traveled to Atlanta to investigate. 
They met with a man that Serrano had claimed to have a business meeting with and learned that the men did in fact meet on December 3rd at 9.45 a.m., and they were together for about an hour. When the officers visited the hotel where Serrano stayed, they obtained surveillance footage showing Serrano in the hotel lobby at 12.19 on the day of the murders, but he was not seen again on that surveillance tape until 10.17 that same night, wearing the same clothes in both videos. Serrano told the officers that he had been suffering from a migraine headache and spent the whole afternoon in his hotel room. The specific timeline of that day would end up being one of the most important pieces of information in this case. Even though Serrano's alibi seemed to check out, Tommy Ray was not convinced that he didn't have any part in the killings at all. His initial thought was that Serrano must have hired someone to pull off the killings while he was 500 miles away in Atlanta. When they looked into Serrano's phone records, they found out that he had made numerous phone calls to his 25-year-old nephew named Alvaro Penherrera, including one on the morning of the murders. Detectives also learned that shortly after another phone conversation that the two had had, uh, his nephew actually hung up the phone and immediately made a call to a rental car company in Orlando and rented a blue 1997 Nissan, which piqued the interest of Tommy Ray. He thought he may be onto something with this hitman theory and was now focused on learning more about Alvaro, but before he went any further into the investigation, he wanted to take another close look at the surveillance footage from the Atlanta hotel. One thing about the footage was giving him kind of a pause, and it was that Serrano was wearing the same outfit at 12.20 p.m. as he was at 10.17 p.m. when he was seen both of those times. Um, and it was this outfit was complete with like a jacket and a turtleneck sweater, and the detective thought it was strange because it didn't really fit with the story that Serrano had been resting in his hotel room for nearly 10 hours straight. Um, he thought that surely he would have changed clothes and put on something more comfortable, which I can see how you would be like, Maybe it's a little weird that you're still yeah. wearing your, like, suit and, like, you know, your sweater and your jacket and everything. But if you have a migraine, like a real migraine, you – I've only had, like, two or three in my entire life. I don't care what I'm wearing. Nothing, like, you're just laying down. You're not yeah. – you're not – this isn't a comfort thing. You're just – you feel death and you don't even notice your clothes. As, like, if he just said he wanted to rest that day, I could see more of him – changing but what if like he didn't bring he didn't pack a lot you know he's just going for two days what's he gonna bring pjs and then go downstairs in his pjs yeah he just went for a business meeting that didn't seem so weird to me yeah like what if he's just somebody that travels in style and he likes to be seen in his suit he wants to look important maybe he had to ask a question at the front desk and thought looking good would do it my brother-in-law wears nice clothes on planes in hopes that he will get bumped to first class like Totally decks himself out. It's the craziest thing in the world. I want to wear PJs, and he will just go looking nice and in hopes that he gets pumped up. Wow. Yeah. Does it work? It has worked. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good reason for it. Tommy Ray would not give up on cracking this particular case. He had held a hunch that Serrano was involved since very early in the investigation, but couldn't quite pinpoint which part of his story seemed false. He began to entertain the idea that Serrano could have used the 9 hours and 57 minutes that he was unaccounted for to fly to Orlando, drive the rental car to Bartow, and then catch another flight back to Atlanta. It was a very tight timeline to work with, but Ray was convinced that it was possible if the crime had been very well planned and implemented. That is a lot to take in. <laughs> that, okay, I hate traveling at all. I know. A round trip? Right. No. But, and a killing? And that is a very tight timeline. Like very. just just under 10 hours to literally go from Atlanta to, you know, to Orlando to Bartow to, and back to Atlanta and like be seen in surveillance. I mean, that seems like a very long shot theory. Right. And nothing goes wrong with your flights. Right. You get on the flights easily and there's no backup. There's no weather problems. 
There's no... Which literally never happens when I fly anywhere. <laughs> right. I know. And like driving out of Orlando, the, the OIA airport, just all around that. It doesn't even matter what time of day. It's, it's terrible. terrible. It's terrible. It's just terrible. Yeah. So driving to... Yeah. That... I would probably want to kill somebody if I just made that right. <laughs> flight one way. While the family of the victims mourned for their lost loved ones, the police were desperately trying to figure out what had happened to them. Serrano and his nephew were both placed under surveillance for an entire year before they had enough to bring them in for questioning. One day when Serrano and his nephew were together, Tommy Ray confronted Serrano with a warrant for an old theft charge with the hope that Alvera would be fooled into thinking he was being arrested on murder charges and scare him into thinking he was next. And hopefully at this point, he would come clean to police about his role in the murders. Alvaro initially told police that he had rented the car for a friend, but Tommy Ray pushed the issue and Alvaro finally caved. He broke down and told the officer that he was afraid his uncle would kill him, but admitted that he had rented the car for Serrano. He then went on to say that his uncle had contacted him the following day to let him know that the rental car was now parked at the Tampa International Airport, and he offered to pay off a $2,000 credit card debt if Alvaro would go to Tampa and officially return the vehicle to the rental car company. Alvaro thought he hit the jackpot, and he was like, sure, for, you know, pay off my credit card debt. Yeah. I'm like, I'd be no interested to see if they ever showed that his credit card was paid off, like with a lump. I know it's only 2000 Yeah. It would be interesting to kind of piece that together. Yeah. Tommy Ray knew he was onto something, but he still had no way to prove that Serrano was physically in Florida on the day of the murders, and he had nothing solid enough to keep him from leaving the area. Um, you know, he wasn't able to say, you can't leave the state or you can't leave the country. Right. Because at this point, they don't really have anything on him. So that was kind of, I can imagine that would be really frustrating when you're like so close to like, you feel like cracking a case, but like- right you have to worry, like, what if this guy takes off or what if yeah, something happens, you know, sure. before you can get there. So the theft charge that he had originally brought in, uh, brought him in on had been thrown out and Serrano was just walking free. They had already checked the airline records and there was absolutely no record of a Nelson Serrano traveling out of Atlanta that day, uh, at least not under his real name. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Officers went to work re-examining the airline records on all flights from Atlanta to Orlando. There was a flight at 1.41 p.m., and one passenger stood out to Tommy Ray. His name was Juan Agasio. He had boarded that very flight at 1.36 p.m. So this is, of course, he's getting on the plane right as it's getting ready to take off. Uh, this intrigued the officers because they had already known that Serrano had married a woman named Gladys Agasio, and the two had a son together named Juan Carlos. So they thought maybe this is where he came up with this fake name, Juan Agasio, basically right. by putting these two names together. They nice felt up. that there was just too much coincidence and wondered whether Serrano just created this fake name to travel to Orlando and back undetected. Tommy thought he had enough at this point to win an indictment, but he was wrong. The state attorney said Ray would need even more because they still couldn't place Serrano in Florida at the time of the murders. The detective went back to Orlando International Airport hoping to find any clues regarding the rental car. He had to figure out exactly when the rental car left the garage at OIA, but he was told by the company representatives that all of the parking garage tickets had been destroyed by then, obviously, a year later. I can't believe they even got the surveillance footage from the no. hotel. Yeah, I know. With. I know. It's always like, sorry, 24 hours. It's right. gone. Yeah. So they did not know if they would be able to help him with the parking garage tickets. Tommy Ray, as persistent as ever, insisted that he obtain access to the company's storage file so that he could go through them himself. In search of this magical parking ticket uh, that would have been used by Serrano, he needed this crucial piece of evidence to prove that Serrano would have enough time to drive from OIA to Bartow in time to commit the murders. 
Miraculously, after thumbing through thousands of tickets, Tommy finally found what he was looking for. A parking ticket stamped with a rental car's license plate and a timestamp showing that the vehicle left the garage at 3.49 p.m. on December 3, 1997. Nelson Serrano's fingerprint was found on that ticket as well. Tommy believed that it was possible that someone could have made this drive in about an hour and 15 minutes, making it possible that Serrano had in fact driven to Bartow after picking up the car. So how would they explain away this fingerprint? Well, that's the whole thing is like, that's all, that's really what they needed to say. Like, this is proof that he was in Florida um, on at that this day. time on yeah. this day. Um, so that's really all they were looking for. Like they just needed something that would say like, absolutely he was in Florida. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of what they got there. Um, so like we kind of said before, the timeline in this case is really, really important just because of how tight of a timeline it is. And it's all they have really to prove or disprove this theory that Serrano was capable of pulling off these murders. So just for some basic points of reference, I looked this up on Google Maps. Of course, we're from the area, so I already kind of roughly know how far it is to go from from these places. But the distance from Orlando International Airport to the factory, um, if you take toll roads to get there, which there's, you can get anywhere like three or five different ways in Orlando. Like you can, there's so many different ways to take. Right. Um, but Just the fastest if you want to pay route, or not. <laughs> right. Exactly. The fastest route is always going to be through the toll roads. So if you took that, it would be a one hour and 11 minute drive. If you take other routes, it could be as much as an hour and 24 minutes. So I also Googled this at 11 o'clock in the morning, which is obviously not a high traffic time. Right. If it was later in the afternoon, you're getting towards rush hour, it could potentially take a lot longer to make that drive. I also have like family that lives out that way in Polk County and the drive is absolutely terrible. Um, but she loves her family. Hi, Emily. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's just a long, it's long. And, and like we said before, it's very, like there's not a lot going on. And so it's not like even an exciting drive to make, you know. Again, it's just, she loves you, Emily. <laughs> I do. I love her. <laughs> It is a long drive. She knows. I, I complain about it to her all the time. <laughs> so based on information given to police by witnesses, they concluded that the murders must have taken place sometime between 5.05 and 6.15 p.m. Employees of the plant reported clocking out at 5.05, and Frank's wife, Maria, got no answer when she tried calling at 5.30. Another witness who worked for a nearby company noticed a man dressed in a suit standing on the sidewalk outside of Erie Manufacturing between 5.50 to 6.15 but noted that the man did not appear to have a car. At 7.28 p.m., Serrano allegedly checked in at the Tampa International Airport under an alias, John White, and landed in Atlanta at 9.49 p.m. Serrano was then seen on the hotel surveillance, as we said previously, at 10.17 p.m. So at first, I thought it would be impossible because getting out of any airport and driving to a hotel would take way longer than 28 minutes. Yeah. I can't even get, usually once the plane lands, like you're still on the plane 28 minutes later trying to get off, you know? So uh, I was like, there's no way that would that would be possible. But then I found out, I looked up and, because uh, he stayed at a La Quinta. And so I looked up uh, where the closest La Quinta was to the airport and Atlanta. And there's actually one at the airport. Oh, like okay. it's the La Quinta Atlanta airport, whatever. And so I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. If he was literally staying right there, then he probably could have done that. Another note, the drive from the manufacturing plant in Bartow to the Tampa airport, according to Google Maps, is one hour and 10 minutes in light traffic. Um, Like I said, probably would take a little bit longer at the time of day he was traveling. But I do think it's doable on our timeline um, for him arriving at 7.28 p.m. So I think that's – it sounds reasonable that 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 could be a possibility to me. 
Um, so one little quick note on the airline tickets. The purchaser of the tickets bought the tickets on November 23rd, which was the same day that the rental car was reserved by Serrano's nephew. Um, and a round-trip ticket was actually purchased in cash from the Tampa airport, but the return portion was never used. So that's interesting. I don't know whether they didn't have any one-way flights or whether that was just a whole That makes sense. Or, yeah. You know, um, and he was like, whatever, I have to get out of here at all costs. I don't care. I know. think it's more of a pre-planned thing because if you're making a one-way flight, that's kind of strange. You typically, you know, do that. Right. So it's like one less thing for them to look at. Like I could see that the detective saying like, we want to look at all one-way flights. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, Pull yeah. that first. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you like, so I'll give them that. Yeah. <laughs> Detective Tommy Ray was sure that this was how the situation played out, and four years after the murders, he finally wanted an indictment against Serrano. But the case wasn't closed just yet. Serrano had taken off and moved himself back to his native Ecuador, which does not have an extradition treaty with the U.S. The family was crushed as well as Detective Ray, who was given orders to put the Serrano case on the back burner for now while he's out of the country. There's really nothing he could do. The detective was assigned to a new case in Miami, which he took reluctantly. Poor Miami family dealing with a homicide that yeah. he doesn't want to take your case. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> While in Miami on business, Detective Ray stayed in a hotel that just so happened to be hosting an international military intelligence conference, and he got a list of officials to look up in Ecuador. He begged his superiors to let him go back to work on the Serrano case. What a cool coincidence. Like, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, how do you even find that information? Now he's got all these connections that right. he's met just yeah. by staying at this hotel. Very cool. Tommy Ray traveled to Ecuador to figure out a way to arrest Serrano and bring justice to the families of the victims, but he was told by Ecuadorian officials that basically there was absolutely no way they were going to turn Serrano over to the U.S. authorities. Keep in mind, in Florida, we do have the death penalty, so they're definitely not in any hurry to hand Send one of their citizens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of returning to the U.S. in defeat, Ray started hanging out at a bar for expats called the Turtle's Head Pup hoping to find some sort of loophole that would allow him to get Serrano back into the U.S. Throughout this process, Detective Ray had a revelation and believed that he may be able to prove that Serrano was not actually an Ecuadorian citizen. I just, I don't, I have so much respect for detectives who come up with these, like, theories and its ideas, and, like, I don't know how you would even... I quit over anything. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a road's closed. I'm convinced I can't get to wherever I was going. Exactly. I just quit. I'm not even interested in finding a plan no. B. <laughs> exactly. He knew that Serrano had gotten into Ecuador by using a U.S. passport and learned that Ecuador did not allow for dual citizenship. So when Serrano had obtained his U.S. citizenship in 1971, it would have meant that he had legally given up his citizenship in Ecuador. That is so like what a... I, I don't know. It's like irony, I guess. Or like, yeah. I don't even know. Not irony. Like, it's just a crazy. Well, it couldn't be pre-premeditated because he clearly gave up his citizenship. So <laughs> got one for you, Serrano. So this was actually a game changer in the investigation because if it was true that Serrano was not a an Ecuadorian citizen, then that would mean that he could be legally deported back to the U.S. So now you're not talking about extradition. You're talking about deporting this guy because right. he's not a citizen of your country. Right. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing Dash Pass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With Dash Pass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, 
DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. All Tommy Ray had to do was find Serrano and apprehend him. The local police in Ecuador agreed to help the detective with the task, and eventually they arrested Serrano at a lunch cafe after he finished eating lunch with his wife. And she was, of course, like, you know, she was please don't very... take my man. <laughs> oh, yeah, I heard her say that specifically. <laughs> Please don't take my man. Once it was proven that Serrano was a U.S. citizen, an Ecuadorian judge agreed that he should be immediately deported back to the U.S. Serrano's family maintains that this move by officials was completely illegal and nothing more than kidnapping of an innocent man. They allege that Serrano's Ecuadorian citizenship was automatically reinstated after the country amended its constitution to allow for dual citizenship years later. Serrano was flown back to the States the following day and would stand trial for the murders. Serrano sat in jail for four years while awaiting trial. Nine years after the murders had taken place, Nelson was finally being made to answer for his crimes. He was facing a death sentence, which would be a huge feat to accomplish considering that there was no DNA evidence to link anyone to the crime scene or the murders. The timeline of this case was crucial in proving to the jury that Serrano was in fact the shooter. At the trial, attorneys introduced evidence that the rental car had been driven 139 miles, which lined up perfectly with the fact that the distance from OIA to the warehouse is 80 miles, and the distance from the warehouse to the Tampa International Airport is 50 miles, totaling 130 miles. They also introduced evidence that Serrano owned both a 22 caliber and a 32 caliber gun. And remember back earlier in the story when we talked about the um, office and the crime scene where there was the blue... Uh, blue chair with like the shoe print on it, they were able to actually match one of Serrano's shoes to the shoe print on the chair. And the theory is that he hid guns or hid a gun up in the ceiling, which is what he was stepping on the chair to then reach and get to commit these crimes. In the end, the jury voted to convict Serrano in the slings and they recommended the death penalty. In 2017, the Florida Supreme Court vetoed or edit. In 2017, the Florida Supreme Court voted and a 4-3 to three decision was made to set aside the death sentences and sent the case back to the circuit court for resentencing. At this point, we think they are still waiting for the retrial 
in that. Yeah, I wasn't able to find anything more current than 2017. So that's yeah. just last year though. But that makes sense because it takes time to like prepare for that because I it's essentially going to go back in front of a new jury and they're going to – they're only deciding whether he's going to get life in prison or the death penalty. He's almost dead. He's like 115. I guess, I guess that's how that works. Like they're saying his um, conviction is not overturned. We need Channing. Where's Channing? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, they're not overturning his conviction. They're just um, going to basically resentence. But um, from what I – the way I read it and understood it, he gets like a new jury to hear the case and the evidence and then they're just going to decide – if the death penalty is going to stand or if he's just going to get life in prison. One more thing I was thinking about this guy, the whole time uh, we were reading about him and like watching the thing, he reminded me of the guy from Breaking Bad. I know you love Breaking Bad. Yeah. Remember the guy with the bell? I can't remember his name. Not Juan Carlos. Um, But just like this powerful, like just kind of goes in before he ends up in the wheelchair. What is his name? Yeah, I'm trying to think of his name now. I don't don't remember his name. But doesn't he kind of like, if you look at his pictures, he's just very like, Solomon, and you're like, okay, based on your picture, you did it. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. I'm kidding. Yeah. We also just want to say a quick thank you to Amber Anderson, um, who helped me with the research on this case. Um, I know this was kind of a difficult one to research. Uh, it, the information that you find on this one was kind of all over the place and everything. A little bit hard to follow, but she did a great job um, helping put together some notes for me. And Thank you. Yes, it made my life a lot easier, made this go a lot faster. Yes, thanks so much. So, Melissa, we have some amazing questions for last thing before we go. I don't know why I said amazing. I know. Like a head bob. I know. Um, <laughs> so the first one comes to us from Maya. We now know how to say her name. She corrected. It's not Maya. No, it's not. Um, she wants to know what superpower we would choose. You go first. Okay. For sure, hands down, without a doubt, teleportation. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've wished I could just be in another place. But can get you quickly. only teleport or can you bring people with you? Like, can your kids go with you or are you the I, I only one? I don't want them with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point of this. But I, would I can s- just disappear on my own. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> I'm thinking like doctor's appointments and stuff when you're like, oh, I don't want to drive 45 minutes away. I want to be able you to bring everybody. Use, okay, you would use that power in the most boring possible I, way. <laughs> I'm the most boring person. Let I me know. teleport to the doctor's office. No, Melissa, <laughs> that is not what I had in mind. <laughs> I want to teleport other places, but no, seriously, I do. I wish I could um, just instantly teleport myself wherever I wanted to be. Well, okay, it's still more boring to not even say where you want to go. I, I just said the doctor and you gave me a hard time. I, I mean, literally anywhere. Hawaii. Okay, thank uh, you. Start bringing up places you like. So just Hawaii. I mean, I'm sure there's more places. Australia. You wanted the superpower. You should know where you want to go. I mean, I know where I want to go. I guess Hawaii. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, Maya. We ruined this question for you. Okay. So my superpower, I don't know. I'm basically super powerful anyway. Um, (laughs) No, I don't. What are some superpowers? So traveling, flying. Flying, like x-ray vision, like super strength. What would I do with that? (laughs) Super strength. I would like super strength. Mandy and I work out at the gym now and I hate going on equipment after her because I'm like, I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to change the weight. And every time I'm like, all right, well, maybe I'll take 20 pounds off and try this again. (laughs) So maybe super strength. I'm very weak. Very weak. I've got basically, my husband calls me an eggshell. Just anything will break on me at any time. I'm like bird bones. So that's it? Super strength? I guess super strength. (laughs) I don't even know what I would use with it except to like not embarrass myself at the gym. 
well. Okay, maybe I'd like to teleport, but I would go places like Paris. Well, um, yeah. Uh, Australia. Canada. I like people in Canada. <laughs> um, Hawaii. But I don't want to run into you in Hawaii. That would be the worst if we both teleported to the same place. Like, I'm trying to get away from Why you. Why would that be the worst? You're the worst. Okay, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> well, it'd just be a bummer. Like, <laughs> gosh, this sounds terrible. I'm trying to get away from people. She's so mean to me. Okay, here we go. You better stop. We'll get letters. <laughs> so the second, the second question is from Jennifer C., also in our Facebook group, and she wants to know if we had to choose one of the killers that we've covered to have over to our home for Wait, an interview, what? who would it be and why? And then she said we can absolutely move across the country and change our names afterwards. And that is not any better. I'm fine here. Thank you very much. Why can't we just go to a neutral location? I don't know. Okay. Change it to neutral location. And then what do you have? Okay. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't really want to hang out with any of them. I know. <laughs> or interview any of them. I don't know. I think um, Shana Hubers would be an interesting person to like be in a room with because um, I don't even know. She just got married. In she jail. Did. What was the person's name? It's like it's something ridiculous. It was like Unique Taylor yes, or something yes, like that. Yes, yes, yes. Don't, don't even ask me how I remember that. Off the Fairly top of my certain head. that's not their birth name. <laughs> that's that not idea. their Christian name. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. So Shana Hubers. I know. Oh. Um. I think I would want to be with, not be with, but I would want to meet with in a secure location, a neutral location. Um, I'll say Erin Caffey because she fascinates me and I don't want to hear her sing though. I'd have to be like, first off, I've heard you sing. You're not that great. Keep it together. Um, but I just want to hear her try to explain this stuff because every time I've listened to her speak, it's so like, I don't know. She makes herself into this victim and I just don't understand how she still, you know, still feels that way. So if I was allowed to put my hands on her and shake her. <laughs> I don't think that's part of it, Melissa. It was not. It was not specifically, you know, I've already changed the rules on this. They're not coming to my house. Um, and just say, what is wrong with you? Like with her brothers and stuff, I, I'll never understand that. And it just didn't seem to fit the mold for her. You know, it just yeah. didn't make sense that how oh, she could ever do that. So I'd be interested in seeing what she had to say. But Shana would be a fun one. I, I think you're right on that. She would. I just think, and like you said, because I think the whole, really, if to meet anyone who's done that and do an interview, the whole, like the why you would want to do it is the same basically in all the cases. It's because you want to know, you want to like get a glimpse into like their thoughts and like yeah. their thought process and everything. So that would be like, that would cover the why for pretty much any of these, yeah. any of these killers that we've covered. But um, yeah, Shana Hubers, I think just because she's so outrageous and ridiculous anyway, and like the stuff that she would say, like, it's just, I don't know how you even say that it's like funny because it's not funny, like what she did, but like right. just her delusional self It's very is like funny, melodramatic you know? and- right. Yeah, I, I'll never get over that. But we both decided that we don't want to meet with the vampire killers. Right. Do we know if they're on probation yet? I don't even want to look it up. I won't I won't Google anymore. I don't want them coming want, after me. I don't want to know. <laughs> no, that episode should be pulled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just in case. Okay, yeah. So I think those are our answers. But neither in our house. No, I'm not inviting a killer to my house. No, never. Mm -mm. Not happening. Sorry. I already live there. <laughs> Gosh, that's like a weird turn. Okay. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll yes. see you in two weeks. If you're looking for content between now and then, patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. We have some bonus episodes. We have to record one for this month. Yes. I'm working on that. Um, 
momsandmurder.threadless.com. We have some cool, well, we have one new design that's- It's awesome. You guys should go check it out. I don't remember. Um, It's a cute little, it says the quote from like one of the most recent episodes, um, we only bring you the facts, we just don't know them. Oh, yeah. So um, that's a cute like t-shirt. I want to order one for myself. It's a cute, stupid thing that we've said that um, we should be embarrassed of, but instead we put it on a mug. Yeah. That's Mandy and Melissa for you. (laughs) All right. Have a great week. Bye, guys. Bye. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saravan. And we do Bloody Murder. We're a weekly true crime podcast that focuses on some of the lesser-known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. We're a comedy podcast with a dark sense of humour. But we're dead serious about murder and the people it affects. We find humour in some unexpected places. But never at the expense of the victims or their families. We've been described as the blue cheese of podcasting. Addictive, strong and satisfying. And a bit stinky. I am not. You know you are. Bloody Murder. Murder is available on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms of Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.